Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to another episode of How To Be Sound, the podcast where I, journalist and writer Rosemary McCabe, speak to people who are sounder than me, which gives me a never-ending pool from which to fish. On today's very special, well every episode is special, but on today's very special episode of How To Be Sound, I'm joined by activist, director, actor, kind of professional slashy now. I'm a professional slasher. Rose McGowan. Rose, thank you so much for taking the time to come on How To Be Sound. Oh, you're so welcome. And thank you so much for coming to Dublin and I guess for taking the time to speak about your experiences. I know that's been something so meaningful to so many people, survivors, the family of survivors, friends of survivors, people, I mean, everybody, people who love survivors, that counts the entire world. Yeah, Um, we've pretty much just covered the world. Yeah, yeah, everything. I know you have paid a high price for that, though. Have there been any moments where you've thought it hasn't been worth it? Of course, I've had those moments, you know, too late now. (laughs) It's definitely, there's been times when I've wondered... Oh, why, why, why did I do this? But that was the path I chose, so you kind of have to stick to it, you know? Have there been any moments, I mean, if if we're using the analogy of a path, have there been any moments where you've seen another route where you've gone, you know what, I can go and do this now. You know, I can stop this and I can take a break. Or what is it that, that spurs you on to keep going then? It's really just that, I feel like I can be very effective in shining a light on something that most people prefer to stay hidden in the dark, you know? Mm. But I will be taking a break and going into just back to my art very soon. I just have to finish this little run of tours, or tour run that I'm doing. And how much do you have left of the tour? I have two weeks left, and then in August, I go to Scotland to start my like basically 2.0 career at the French Festival I'm doing, and you can buy tickets now, yay. Uh, At the Assembly Room, I'm doing an art show, a spoken word show. Oh, amazing. Yeah, August 15th through the 18th. Okay, I will link in the show notes to where people can buy tickets if they're in Scotland or if if they want to go to Scotland. I watched your incredible interview with Jamila Jamil, and it struck me as I was watching it that you guys have a lot in common in terms of you both have a message that you're trying to get out there, but at the same time, there are a lot of people waiting for you to slip up, waiting for you to say the one thing that they can use to discredit your entire argument, to go, well, she's saying this, but she's forgotten to say X or Y. Does that in any way, like the knowledge that people are waiting for you to fuck up, does that in any way affect what you say? Like, are you self-editing or have you managed to kind of override that impulse? Uh, I, You know, it's not so much self-editing as it's much as it. I, I think of it more like, it's amazing how much misogyny there is even in young people and they don't realize it and they think it's coming out of, they think that it's like, oh, this is, this is, it's slipping up. And I'm like, no, it's internalized misogyny. Mm. This is what's going on. And no, I mean, you have to be careful whatever you do. I think it's all about intention, you know, and it surprises me and and, uh, 
shocks me when people can't see that. Yeah, there's a really interesting TED Talk by, of all people, um, a woman who was in the Westboro Baptist Church, you know, the the most hated right. church in America, right. from that, that, that Louis Theroux documentary. And she gives a TED Talk where she speaks about coming out of that and coming out the other side of these views that she held and says that w- when it really clicked with her was when she realized that everybody is coming at everything from good intentions, like most people. Right. You know, that we, we, we all think we're right. We all think we're doing the right thing. We're all coming at it going, I'm doing something necessary because of my beliefs. And that felt very true to you know, her basically was, you know, she was saying that when people argued with her saying, you know, you shouldn't be homophobic. Once she realized they were coming at it from a true belief and a truly held love, that she was able to kind of accept that message. You speak a lot as well about, or I mean, on this particular interview with Jamila, there was a lot of talk of women and especially kind of older women in Hollywood being very vocal about not believing you, about I suppose not believing women or about thinking that women were making too much of a fuss. I did my master's thesis on women conspiring against women in, in mass media. Oh, wow. Wow. And for a <laughs> while, I felt really ashamed of it because I was like, oh, fuck, I'm blaming the wrong people. But actually, your story made me go, actually, that's that is correct. And that's not to say that it's women's fault. How did that feel to you? Did you expect it? Did you think that women would be on your side? And was that a blow? It wasn't a blow because I'd never had women on my side. I mean, I had female fans and things like that, of course, but I'd never, I didn't do any of this with anybody on my side. Nobody's been on my side. Jamila's on my side. She's amazing, uh, Jamila Jamil, but but you have to understand it's been an incredibly isolated and lonely Mm. road. Very few women on the side of survivors, which is weird considering they're most likely survivors too. Yeah. What's it? I mean, the official statistics are one in four, but... Oh, if, please. Yeah. I don't know who those unicorns are. I know, I know. Do you think that it was the fact that you spoke out that meant that people weren't on your side? Or was there something about you before that, like, w- you know, were you too much? Were you too out there? And I don't mean that as a criticism, but when you look back now, do you think that if you had been more of a quote-unquote good girl, your message would have been better accepted? Or was it the message of that people... If, well... My message would have been better accepted if I wore knee-length skirts and low kitten heels and didn't look weird and didn't, like, act strangely and didn't, you know, wasn't a unique being. Well, if you weren't human, yeah. If I wasn't human. But if I was someone who, like, posed on the cover of magazines with, like, knee-length skirts, like, you know, and, and, like, holding roses in my hands, softly smiling to the camera, if that was my shtick, that would have been accepted. But... No, I think it's because I came out of left field and people don't know me, Mm. you know. They have a perceived image, but they don't know me. When you look back now on some of the, I know you mentioned magazine covers there, on some of the magazine shoots I saw when you shared on Instagram the other day where you were talking about how the photographer told you to be more sexy, which I can imagine nothing like less enticing to be sexy than someone saying, be more sexy. You're like, that's really good direction. You're really good at your job. (laughs) But do you look back now, I mean, what would you say to yourself or what... what tell them to fuck off. But what can we put in place for younger women coming up now who feel like they have to do that? Right. Um, right in place. When someone says, like, be more sexy or, or something like that for a camera, for a photo shoot, you know, no, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm actually just going to be me. And they have to know that it's okay to be them. Mm. And that, that supersedes somebody's desire to turn you into a caricature. But it happens so quickly. Mm. That's the whole thing is like you're under all this pressure. There's all these people watching and 
you're trying to get the shot, so it comes with all the stuff. So we need to start like building that up before they ever get to that situation. I think it starts really young with telling like you don't have to be anything you don't want to be, including sexy, including in a moment of somebody directing you. That's the whole thing is that when you're young, and certainly I was young in that photo, and that's all you see in the media, you're like, oh, I've joined the ranks now. This is what I'm supposed to do. Mm. But you realize now that this is a very different day and you don't have to do that. Yeah. It feels to me almost like kind of tracking back to the moments where we start teaching kids about consent to the extent that you don't kiss your uncle if you don't want to. Right. You don't have to hug your granny. Right, exactly. You know, that that then leads on to, no, I don't want to be sexy for your camera. Right. But we need to start small. It start, starts very young, starts very young, and with not teaching conformity. Mm. You know, it's not just consent, it's conformity. Do you think that as a society, we are obviously kind of inclined to look for the same we are inclined to find groups that we feel that we fit into do you think that's innate or is that something that's in our culture that we can change I think it can be changed but it takes unwiring it's not just like I'm going to do this it takes analysis and pulling out the threads of like what's been implanted in your brain is organic to you and what's been implanted by other people pull out the threads that are not organic to you you know and it takes that's for the parent Mm. and then they can pass that on. But they have to like not just be like, I'm going to teach consent and what that means and what that looks like, but also like the whys, the um, where does it go to. But the bigger, not just with people attack it, and I think like a small, like we're going to talk about consent, but it's actually, it's a much broader thing. It's like, it's like we're going to talk about societal harm and industrialized thought. And I think industrialized thought is the enemy. One of the really interesting phrases that you talked about in the Jamila Jamil interview, which this is basically just a reaction podcast to that interview now, you talked about industrialized gaslighting. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting because gaslighting as a phrase is obviously something that's quite new, but as a concept. Well, it actually comes from a Hitchcock film from the 40s. Okay, but I mean, you know, that that we know about in our kind of common parlance, we talk about gaslighting and there's a little bit of eye rolling. From oh, but the, they've been doing that for the dawn of time. Yeah, true. Like the concept of industrialized gaslighting, what does that look like to you or how have you experienced that and what you've been doing? Well, what it looks like to me is boring, really. It, it just bores me, the, the whole machine. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Being set up to gaslight not just me, but anybody that dares to be different so they can maintain the status quo. It looks like it looks like just that. The status quo fights back, the power fights back, you know, but it's not just the powerful. It's like the person that they can be fifteen and listening to it and they can be part of gaslighting too. They can be the social justice warrior that goes on yelling about something. You know, thinking that they're so woke, quote unquote, but in fact they can be quite wrong and be just just as damaging and and just as part of the machine as anything. Mm. You know, um, it looks like it looks like hurt. It looks like it hurt people causing hurt without realizing it. You know, and the way I grew up, which was really unusual for the first ten years of my life with no mirrors. Um, it gave me a reprieve, and most people, I think, get homogenized and conformed into society by around age five. Mm. That's when they're told they're a girl or a boy. Yeah, of course. I got a pass. I had another five years, so I was old enough to not be like part of that machine. So it was easier for me to see it for what it was. But when you don't see it for what it is, and when you're brought up in it, it's that's cult-like thinking. Yeah. What was it like for you then at, at the age of 10 to suddenly go from in a way, being sheltered from that to suddenly being part of this very visual, very stringent culture world. Yeah, I thought I was like, I landed in hell. (laughs) I thought, oh my God, these people are awful and these people are everybody. Do you still think that? Yes. Not that they're awful, but that's an awful, it's an awful way to live, Yeah, I think. You know, and it's not like I'm so great or anything, but... Instead of being like, you're so weird, it might behoove people to want to be more free. Mm. Because I was not formed like they were. I don't have that same brain in that way. And, I, and it, there is a really big distinction between the few people that I've met who grew up like me. There's this inherent difference. I mean, we're all human. We all have the same motivations, generally speaking, all that kind of stuff. But in terms of that specific thing of getting a pass on on what you're supposed to be as a female or as a male or whatever it is, the people that I know that grew up how I grew up have a very different kind of brain. It works differently. Yeah, it's really interesting because, I mean, obviously they say, don't they, that the kind of formative years are kind of four to seven, eight, I mean, probably before then, but my therapist basically spends the whole time trying to get me to find things that happened when I was seven. She's like, when's, when's the first time you noticed that? Was it around, you know? So for you, if that time was spent in a way protected or in this kind of bubble from this world yeah. of you are a girl, you have to do this, you should look like this, you should behave like yeah. this. Obviously you were formed in a very different kind of chasm. Yeah. Which is so interesting as a thought experiment as well, but you know. Well, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. You spent very many years being kind of a paparazzi darling for a variety of reasons, because of Charmed, 
because of your relationships, because of your fashion choices. And now you well, are... Not just because of me, because that was their job. Yeah, they yeah, of course. They hunted famous people. I wasn't out there looking for it. It was them. So the way, what you just said, put it on me. Put it on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so well, I mean... you just said put it on me, and I'll tell you, it's these people's profession to hunt down famous people wherever they exist. It was a good day for me in the past. I was only paparazzi three times. Well, that's, that's kind of what I was And I wasn't say. going to where the paparazzi were. I actually lived a very small life to try to avoid them. Yeah. Um, not a, a small life in the town that I lived in, in L.A. specifically. But when I was out of L.A., it was fine. But in L.A., it was such the culture was so insane and off the charts. And it was like the height of Lindsay Lohan, the height mm. of all this stuff. It was like media hell and paparazzi hell. And that was their job. They sought us out. They knew where we lived. They got into my house. They like they this is this is their job. This was not me. Yeah. But that's a perception from the outside. Yeah, I understand that it's because of your choices where it's actually this is an industry and a million dollar industry that Multi- makes money million, off million, million, billion dollar like industry. chasing young women around. Right. Is it easy in in Hollywood to avoid that, or is it only easy if you're if you? It's different now. Outside LA? It's different now with social media and everyone getting the same shot in the internet. They don't make money off it anymore, so there's not that many paparazzi anymore. Okay, it's very different than it used to be. Because what I was going to ask was that you're obviously you were very famous then. You have kind of remained in in the public consciousness, but you're very famous now for very different reasons. Right. Does that have a different flavor to it? Does it have a different tone? Do you feel safer now or less safe in terms of if people take your photo? You know, are they saying smile for the camera, Rose, or are they no. asking questions? You know? <laughs> They're not telling me to smile anymore. Although, actually, there was a paparazzi outside of here last night, and he did say, he's like, give us a wave, you know, or give us, give us some, an action shot <laughs> like that. I'm like, oh, for God's sakes. I was like, it's too late for that, and I'm walking home. But, I mean, that culture has died down a lot for me. I'm sure for younger actors, it's still there, but there just are a lot less of them fundamentally. But no, it looks different now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So do you think that you're being so, that you're being so active on social media has in some way protected you? Because obviously you can't sell a photograph of somebody if they're putting up photographs of themselves all the time. Yeah, I think it's not just me. I think it's changed the culture entirely of all of that. I mean, that's the thing. People are just doing it themselves and... It's usually it's a much more interesting photo than someone putting money in the parking meter. Mm. I know that you've been bumped off Twitter several times. How do you feel the social media platforms protect survivors? Do they? Do you think they should? I don't think they can or would have the wherewithal or knowledge of of how to do that. They can't protect from a lot of things. Um, About survivors, I don't know. I don't think protection is the right word. (laughs) With social media, I think it's it's more of a tool. Mm. I just don't read the comments on Ever. on Twitter, on Instagram. Yeah, I go and I engage and stuff like that. But on Twitter and things like that, it's just a cesspool. Yeah, Twitter has turned into a trash fire. It's just and it's just awful. I wonder sometimes if Instagram will go the same way, or what the difference is between. I think it's because there's more anonymity on Twitter in a way that you click yeah. into someone's Instagram and you can see their lives, whereas you can't really with with Twitter. Um, I talk a lot with with people about how women are only allowed to talk about something if they have an experience to back it up. So men can have an opinion on anything. Women have right. to have, well, like, where's the experience behind that? And That's a really good point. Yeah, and, like, no better has this been borne out than, it, than in your story, where you talk about Me Too and you had to talk about this very difficult and traumatic experience that happened to you in order to have your message legitimised. But I wonder... Is that something that will change ever? Or do you think women will always have to mind their own experiences to be believed? 
Oh, that's a really good question. I hope they won't, and I hope I won't. I mean, I've started just saying I'm not going to talk about that anymore and talk about other things, but it takes, it's again, it's the same. That's a really interesting idea. I'm going to have to roll that one around for a while, Rosemary. I think it's true. I mean, I think it's true in a lot of ways. Like, I talk about it a lot. I used to write about fashion. And whenever I wrote about fashion, I would get all these comments going like, what do you know about fashion? Look at the state of you. Like, look at what you're wearing. You look terrible. And I'd be looking across the newsroom at the sports guys. Right. Loads of whom never played rugby, never played soccer. And nobody ever said to them, what do you know about soccer? Do you know what I mean? These guys like sitting there eating their sandwiches. And nobody was going, well, you're not a professional soccer player. Whereas they expected me to be a model and to be K-Moss and to be Alexa Chung. Oh, that's so perfect. That's such a really good point. It's, it's, It's really fascinating to me. Lastly, I just wanted to ask, what does your career look like now? Because you've, you know, you've opened up Pandora's box, can't stuff it all back in. Arguably, if you decided I'm, I'm going to be, quote unquote, just an actor now, that would be a very difficult thing to do. Yes. So what are you doing next? I have an album coming out that I've been working on for three years that um, is premiering at the Fringe. That's what it is. Oh, oh sorry. Spoken word. Spoken word yes. and music. I don't know. I'm winging it. I'm fully prepared to wing it. We're going to see how it goes. Well, I hope that it goes very well. And thank I mean, you. I did genuinely mean thank you so much for mining your experience, which you shouldn't have had to do. But yeah. you did it and you did it so bravely. And it's been so important and so worthwhile to a lot of people, myself included. Thank you so much for that and for taking the time today. You're so very welcome. Thank you, Rosemary. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this and every episode of How To Be Sound. Please do subscribe wherever you're listening to this and take a second to rate and review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the podcast and might give me a little boost in the charts, which you know I'm all about. This podcast is produced by Liam Garrity. His own podcast, Meet Your Maker, is a podcast about the people who make the things we love and inexplicably an episode about people who make Garda simulation roleplay games. It's actually amazing. So you should listen to that. You can check it out at meetyourmaker.ie. Thank you all so much for listening. If you like my work and you'd like to read more of my writing, you can do that at patreon.com slash rosemarymccabe with an A in my Mac. I put up a lot of personal writing, some features, extra bonus content from the podcast and more, including a special exclusive Patreon-only book club that you can join. We discuss a book, we get together around every six weeks, I pay for pizza and we all chat about it and the current book is very smutty. So if that's what you're into, check that out at patreon.com slash rosemarymccabe. Thanks again so much for listening to How To Be Sound and for supporting me and I will catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.